If there's ever a time where we needed to pull together as believers of Christ and, and unite and try to strengthen and make the world a better place, it's now. Mm-hmm. And that, that sounds like he's yeah. preaching our message. <laughs> there's one body, one church, one spirit, one hope. The realities of the faith, the ra- realities that unify us are already there. Christ praying for unity. What should we be praying for? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the one prayer request of Jesus. Think about it in the Bible that we actually have a say in whether or not it comes to fruition or not. I think in what God has done in you guys in uh, in this podcast and the, the multitude of folks that you're reaching, the diversity, whatever God intended when, he's, when you started this, he's able to bring it to completion. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll, here with your other co-host, TJ Tiberius Mon Blackwell. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah. And today we are joined by someone y'all have never heard before, except for the other like three or four times he's been on. He's actually our most returned guest, Pastor Chris Galloway. Um, Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hey, everybody. It's got to be something good. They keep inviting me back. I really appreciate this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and today he's been on back enough. We're not going to interview him. We're going to do a different kind of format for today. We're all going to talk about our own subjects. We're going to be talking about numbers in the Bible. We're all going to take a different concept with numbers from the Bible and uh, just kind of discuss it. So if you like numbers, this is this will be your episode. Um, uh, that being said, uh, recently we asked for our, whatchamacallit, <laughs> Fun day Friday, silly question. We were asking everybody if you had to do something other than Planet of the Apes, if you're going to recast the apes as any other animal, what would you do? And on Twitter, someone said llama, and it proceeded to have three or four more people retweet that with different ideas of what the llamas would be doing. So um, I guess llamas is the answer. So be prepared for Planet of the Llamas coming uh, probably this fall. And uh, <laughs> with that being said, uh, we're going to jump into today's silly question. And Chris, as always, TJ and I will answer first, let you think about it. Um, this one we stole from Chris. It's one of his go-to questions. Uh, what would you do if pink polka-dotted elephants fell from the sky? <laughs> uh, this is uh, the question Chris uses to make fun of people who say what if. And uh, now we're going to get a real answer. But uh, TJ, uh, do you want to you start? What would you do? If yeah, pink polka dotted elephant fell from the sky. So I know exactly what I would do. Uh, I would die. <laughs> if it was anything like rain, I, it would kill me. My house is not strong yeah. enough to support an elephant falling from the sky. All right. So, so I'll, answer. I, um, mm-hmm. I'll let you guys know. I'd start pinching myself and really hope that I woke up. This just seems like the most logical thing to me. That can't be real, right? Um, yeah, Chris, what would you do if being poked out an elephant fell from the sky? Um, run, I guess, somewhere, hide. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. It's so absurd. It's so absurd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, well, the next correct know. answer is to pray because <laughs> that's, I, that's pretty much the only thing that's, that's going to save us at that point. <laughs> so that's, that's uh, true. Yeah. So, the reason we're doing this episode is because I was just scrolling around. Uh, I was on TikTok, actually, which is a horrible app, but man, it's hard to put down. Uh, and I heard someone talk about uh, how big Goliath's gear was. And I was like, okay, that's insane. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna research that. And uh, it was not the most outrageous number that I found in the Bible that day. Uh, but for the record, uh, it said, uh, who wasn't in the Bible? It describes the head of his spear as weighing 600 shekels, which a shekel is not a big unit, but that is 16 pounds, almost 17. And if you've ever held the spear, you know, there's a good reason they described him as a giant because that's pretty much impossible to use for someone who's not. Uh, they go over other ridiculous weights for his armor, but the one that really caught my eye well, was when they described Samson. Uh, not his only description, uh, but uh, specifically in the Talmud, which is, you know, I think the poster of the original video was Jewish. So he 
references the Talmud. And it says that Samson's shoulders were 60 cubits abroad. A cubit, for those who don't know, is a foot and a half. Which means Samson's shoulders would have been 90 feet across. Which, you know, makes it pretty impossible to do anything. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I just thought I was talking to Josh about it. I was like, you know, we might as well talk about some of these because there is some crazy yeah. stuff. Like, now, imagine clarify, seeing a dude. Yeah, go ahead. Was the, was the thing about Samson's shoulders, was that actually in the Bible or is that just the Talmud? Or are we unsure? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's just in the Talmud. I don't remember. Yeah, I'll say I don't feel like that's. I don't know. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just curious. But, you know, just insane. Imagine seeing a dude with a 90-foot chest. <laughs> like, he can't lay down in a bed. And he can't walk into a building. He can't even walk All down the street. His chest. <laughs> yeah. But then we started talking about other things, which brings us to the the thing I wanted to talk about, which, you know, y'all can feel free to chime in, but. Uh, it was giants in the Bible, which I've known about for a long time. You know, it's just uh, the Nephilim. They were they were giants, sure. But uh, I didn't realize a lot of people don't read Nephilim as giants uh, because the Vulgate just says Nephilim. And it's easy to miss, you know, the verses where it says they were great, huge men and they made us feel like grasshoppers. And surely we looked like grasshoppers to them, uh, which was said in Ezekiel 32, uh, Ezekiel 32, 23, no, 22, Somewhere. but it's just, there are a lot of theories about giants, uh, specifically, uh, my favorite one is that the Nephilim were too big to die in the flood, which, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the people who believe that do say specifically that God killed them later because, you know, you weren't supposed to survive that. But well, yeah, <laughs> the if, if you read through Joshua and Deuteronomy and like a lot of the stories after the flood, it'll say the Anakim which are believed to be the ancestors of the Nephilim. And that's who, if you notice, every time God sends his people to destroy a people, they're always there in some way. So that's interesting at the very least. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, no, that's fine. But my, my favorite modern story about giants, and I say modern because... It was a group of Marines who claimed to see a giant, a Nephilim, in a cave in Afghanistan. Uh, it's called the Kandahar Giant, if anyone wants to look it up and read it for themselves. Uh, I can't speak to the validity of the claim, but yeah, in, in theory, it is possible that a giant man survived in the desert for, you know, a few, a couple thousand years, a few thousand years. Not likely, but uh, it it's possible. <laughs> but the yeah. story is that this this strike team saw a giant red haired man, and he killed almost all of them, and, and didn't retreat until a helicopter came to evacuate them, which is just insane. Uh, if biblical giants do still exist, I hope I never see one. <laughs> and. Uh, a lot of this might sound like rambling, but yeah, it's just very there's so much. It's very yeah, interesting. It is. I would say, did they get a picture? Did anyone like snap one of those those there's, photos that's so blurry? That's what I'd be wanting. Yeah. There's one that's like, I'm pretty sure it was just a render. Uh, but there is a usually a picture like attached to it, and it's just like classic blurry. Big red band outside a yeah. cave. <laughs> then there yeah. are artistic Natural. ones where it's, you know, see a couple of dudes shooting at a giant with a, a sharpened tree through a man's chest. That's their first but, response is let's shoot at it. Well, it, he stabbed one of them. Oh, OK. I, was gonna say, mm -hmm. I, I think I would just run like 
Yeah. Although I, I guess it depends. But most what things. Mean, giant. Oh, he was giant. He was yeah. over ten oh. feet tall. Oh yeah. Well, see, I see. I was thinking because of um, because I know we were, we were talking about this earlier. The the Dead Sea Scrolls version of Goliath, where he was only like six foot six or something, right? According to its measurements, which is wildly different than a lot of our other ancient texts. Well, right. I guess not wildly different, but definitely different. And a lot of those issues come up because ancient measurements are varied. There wasn't a standardized measurement that people used. Just like, yeah. hey, we're going to call half of an ounce a shekel. And then, you know, a few hundred miles away, they call a shekel like, you know, 0.75 pounds or something. Yeah. But it's a big mess. It's really probably, no standard then, right? Right. And that makes it hard to determine the size of things. Because the way they measured it, it wasn't standardized. Well, and even if it was, it's so much time has passed and documentation was not as good then. So I, it would just be, I feel like it would just be so difficult for us to figure out what it is. It, it's interesting that for what we think it is, one text says six foot six and the other says it's like nine foot something. And I'm just like, you know, I, I wonder if if they were even like, actually trying to say the size of it or if they just were trying to say yeah he was big <laughs> you yeah, know like he was much larger dude. than everyone else what what if right. that was the deal like he was just so much bigger but um you guys know me your audience they know me very well by now um you know what mm-hmm. i would say to that right oh that's what the bible says what did the bible say whatever right. the bible said then that's that's what he would have been mm-hmm. and Ooh, it, in one? most in most places uh the Bible will refrain from measuring these people who are giants, the Nephilim, the, I think the NI were another one, uh, the Alam, but they, they just won't measure them. They'll say they were huge. They made us feel very, very tiny. Yeah. But well, go ahead. I'll just say it's not because of this, that Enoch's not in the Bible, but Mm. It sure is convenient that Enoch's not included because then we would have two just different ideas of what it is. Which right. I, I don't think it's for not that that wasn't included. Right. So probably. What, yeah. Yeah. So what he's talking about, uh, because I still have three minutes left in this rant. Uh, <laughs> in the book of Enoch, which at a, at one point in time for about 150 years, maybe 200 years, was a part of the Bible that the Catholic Church used, which now is only in two. It's not in any of them. It's in two. Uh, modern religions, they include it in their Oh, it's in the Orthodox, canon. isn't it? No. No, it's not in Orthodox. Let's see. Is I have to find it. It's a, I think they're both Ethiopian religions. Oh. Uh, along with the Book of Jubilees. Oh. Uh, the Gez, G-E apostrophe E-Z. Uh, they still use it. Hmm. Uh, they still count it as a canon book. And uh, Beta Judaism. They both oh. still treat the Book of Enoch as canon. But in Enoch 1, uh, which, if you are unfamiliar, the Book of Enoch describes his journey to heaven because he was invited into heaven it's not a canon book for us but it's interesting to read he describes the Nephilim in two of the books of the bible so it's Mm -hmm. important to know about Peter used it yeah but he says he saw a Nephilim and it was 4500 meters tall which is a little under a mile yeah and uh yeah, there's definitely a reason it's not in the Bible anymore. It's not because of that. But right. that certainly doesn't help its case. So he just went to heaven, surrounded by angels, and saw a really big dude and was like, that's huge. That is exactly 4,500 meters tall. <laughs> yeah, he, he just stopped, put out his measuring tape. I was like, Let, let's see how tall this guy is real quick. Yeah, which yeah. is... Uh, one-sixth the size of Mount Everest is how tall he said those giants were. Fantastic. So, so, TJ, do you think, like, back to what Josh was saying, do you think maybe sometimes in that um, 
it wasn't necessarily like they were this exact size, except some cases, like you're saying, they, they give us some size. But um, I'm just referring back to when you were um, when you were talking about the spies and, and how they went over and said, there's giants in this land. Um, and then it said we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. Um, I actually really studied that out before I kind of preached that. And, and I took the um, the approach on that, that um, not necessarily that they were these huge giants, but that. Uh, they were perceived to be so much bigger than us that mm-hmm. we perceived ourselves as grasshopper in their eyes. Oh yeah, um, for sure. You know, but That's... then, but then, what gets me is because you know, I'm I'm just that guy that I just, <laughs> I just take it literally. Um, is when you have all these guys carrying back these huge clusters of grapes. That's what <laughs> got me. It's like, okay, the people might not be yeah. big, but they got some huge grapes. Right. Well, I think that's definitely accurate. It's a lot of the times they don't use measurements. They're just big man, huge man, which is, you know, they probably weren't, in my opinion, they probably weren't like 12 feet tall, 30 feet tall. They were just so much larger that it seemed like they were, you know, just massive. Yeah. Yeah. So if archaeology and geologist whatever people are to be trusted which you know that that is that's an if um definitely the people of israel were significantly smaller than people up north which means the people that they were going into from what they from what we've researched like scientifically just they were shorter people like significantly shorter than people and uh even from like personal experience like having lived in florida and having lived here and i'm like man Bugs here are so small, like they're just so tiny. Like you never see an ant the size of your thumb here. It's crazy to me. So like I, I could see where going to a different land, things might be significantly bigger. Like if there's more water, more humidity, the grapes probably are a lot bigger. You know, the people probably were bigger. I think it makes sense. Right. I, I don't know uh, how big. But I think it makes sense. Yeah. And that, you know. They, we seemed like grasshoppers was uh, Numbers 1333 uh, that he says, we even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim to ourselves. We seemed like grasshoppers and we must have seemed the same to them. Yeah, because, oh, yeah okay. that, that's where I was going to, because I, mm-hmm. I just remember when you brought that up. I remember to have I study out a message where I used that whole concept of they saw themselves as small. So therefore they were small, you know, that kind of deal as I was preaching. But um, yeah, sometimes I think that some of that stuff probably is more what you're saying is to them, they were just so much bigger. Um, But who who can really make that call? Right. And uh, this last thing I'll say about giants is that in 1705, uh, I don't remember who it was, uh, some organization thought they found the fossilized remains of a Nephilim bone. Uh, oh, Cotton Mather, or Mather, a uh, Puritan minister, hmm. thought he found remains of a Nephilim, uh, which was later identified as Mastodon remains. But, you know, for a couple hundred years there, they thought like, oh, yeah. Boom, proof of giants, size of an elephant. I mean, so, they still might find it. It Yeah, it's still but, possible. Who knows? But that's that's pretty much all I have to say. Uh, I could probably <laughs> give several more barely connected facts for a long time, uh, but I'm yeah. going to let us move on. <laughs> yeah. So for for my part of this collection of rants, um, I, I am going to have TJ time me for ten minutes, so so I can't go over. Um, I'm going to talk about numbers in prophecies. Um, a lot of times you'll see if you've been going to church for any extended period of time or whatever, you might have heard a pastor talk about a particular section of scripture and then say, see, this has a number three, which means whatever they say it means. And they'll base the meaning of the scripture off of that. And, and that kind of thing happens a lot. Uh-huh. And um, it's something that irritates me, um, not because it's wrong. Sometimes it's dead on. But uh, it's more of um. Well, we're going to have doctors Duval and Hayes on the show later on this year. Um, and they write books about uh, hermeneutics and how to read the Bible, that kind of stuff. 
and and one of our the, your your big principles for understanding prophecy is whatever pericope, whatever section you're reading, it means something, and all of the details in it are going to support that meaning. They're not going to change that meaning. They will support that meaning. So uh, go to like uh, Ezekiel where you enter the throne room of God and he has the, the long robe and he has, you know, all these jewels and stuff. Each detail does mean something, but none of them are going to change what the big picture means. God doesn't use useless words, but he also doesn't contradict himself. So you find that overall meaning, you know what it means. You might be able to enrich it, but you're not going to change it. So um, uh, one, one example, uh, just just to pull something out of the hat, is um, when Jesus talks, when you know they ask Jesus, how many times should we forgive people? Jesus says seven times 70, which, you know, you may have heard it preached that that means for infinite, which I will say is correct. The problem I have is when people try and say, OK, so seven means perfection and 70 means perfection. So he's trying to say perfect times perfect. And they change the meaning to something else. It's not that seven doesn't mean perfect. I mean, symbolically, that, that's what that number did mean to them. But you can't use that to change the meaning of what Jesus is saying. If that makes sense. And if you really trace what Jesus is saying, uh, the other time seven times 70 is used in the Bible is in the book of Daniel. And it, it's funny because it, it's like a trifecta. Daniel's saying, hey, God. You told Jeremiah we'd only be in this land for 70 years. How long, Lord, are we really going to be in this land? And that whole how long is, it's a reference to Jeremiah, and it's a reference to Psalm 13. The people of Israel kept wondering, how long are we going to be in exile? How long are we going to suffer? And God's answer to Daniel was, oh, no, 77s, which in the Hebrew language sounds very similar to just 70. And that, that's its own whatever thing. And if you go to Jeremiah... God said, yeah, you're going to be in exile 70 years. The thing is, you, you can't take any one of these things and say, okay, so it's perfection. God wanted them to wait a perfect amount of time. That That's no. God wanted them to wait a long time. Now, we do know how long they actually waited, which I, I want to say it was like 580 years or something. They were in exile. They were in exile a long time. No, 580 mm -hmm. AD. BC. Uh, 70 times long. 7 would be 490, but I don't know. Yeah, it, it was close to that, but it wasn't quite that. Anyway, that's actually just not the point of the passages. When Jesus references Daniel and Jeremiah in that, what I think Jesus is saying is you have to suffer with people like God suffered with his people. Now, that enriches that meaning, right? Like I understand a little bit better why Jesus used that number to say we keep forgiving. But it doesn't change what Jesus said. It still means you keep forgiving. If that, I, I think that makes sense. Does that make sense to you guys, or did I not explain uh, that well? Josh noted anti-numerologist. <laughs> Listen, I'm okay with using numbers. You just can't change the meaning of a passage because of a number. Yeah, no, I right. get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I was gonna say I get what you're saying. Um, I, I think sometimes, uh, personally, people will take certain numbers um, and, and just uh, trying to be careful. Uh, sometimes they just take them and, and create you know messages around them because it, it will sound good or, or it feels good in a moment. Um, and you know, I've heard so many numbers explained and, and I hope no one takes me wrong because I'm not against it um, by no means. But, you know, uh, sometimes we get so caught up on what the number might mean that we miss, we really miss the simplicity of what the gospel is and why we have a Bible. And it's like, so mm -hmm. I need to figure out every single symbol, every single number. And I, they would be, to my opinion, they would be symbolic in some form um, and, or else I don't believe they would be in the scripture. But I don't think you get hung up there. I think it's more for uh, personal opinion could be wrong. If so, um, the Lord will show me and you can tell me. But um, sometimes I think that, uh, you know, smart people try to pull out numbers um, really to make themselves seem smarter or, or a higher intellect than, than the next guy. Um, but I, any numbers you're using in one passage – to try and change another passage, um, 
I would I would never go for that um, mm-hmm. unless you can trace it back to to an original text somewhere and you can show me, um, you know, hey, this was the exact same thing we're talking about. Um, but a lot of times you find that um, it, it's not exactly the same. Right. Yeah. No, Everything like, depends uh, on context. Me, yeah. For sure. me, 77 was really specific. So I'm okay with saying that that was probably from Daniel. But also, it just doesn't change what Jesus was saying. And it's – um, I, I think here's, here's really my point. Uh, I, I don't care who you are. If you can read and comprehend what you're reading, you can read the Bible and understand it. If you were like, well, why do you use all these jewels? Keep reading. You don't need to know why he used all those jewels. Right. If you want to dig in deeper, learn about all those jewels and know that it's going to make the meaning deeper, but it will not change it. Because eventually, eventually, as you keep digging into scripture, those things that were impressing you and that were just really speaking to your life, um, it's going to cause you to want to know more. And therefore, you know, you didn't care about the jewels. You didn't care about the numbers and, and the different symbols. But as you want to grow in God, then that desire is going to be there. And so... Um, I, that's personally why I believe God put that kind of stuff in the scriptures because we there's so much simplicity about the scripture, but then there's these real complex things that show up. Um, and I just attribute that to it's the different mindsets of where we are as people. Um, if I just got saved, I really don't need you trying to explain to me what all the numbers in the Bible mean and the certain <laughs> columns and yeah. colors. Like mm-hmm. that's not what I need in my life. I, I need more, you know, biblical, practical. How do I live this thing out? Um, and then as I grow and I mature, then of course those things come along um, because I believe that's what that's what will separate you and take you to deeper places with God. It'll be more revelation. Right. Yeah. Like um, uh, th- this will be. Just just a fun random whatever, uh, because originally I was going to be doing numbers in Revelation. So I, I'll just throw in one for for fun for everybody. Uh, if you look in the first, uh, I won't say it's the first two, maybe first three chapters of Revelation. He's talking about lampstands and how you are. And he talks to each different church. There's the same amount of churches as there are lampstands in the book of Zechariah. Which. If you read Zechariah and read Revelation, you can get a lot of insight for what God really saying there. It's not going to change what he says, though. It's going to make it better. It's going to give you a deeper understanding. I personally will I'd borderline be willing to give people a guarantee. It'll make you like the book of Zechariah a lot more. It's not going to change it, though. And uh, that that's the thing. Uh, I am. I like the numbers in the Bible. I am all for trying to understand it better. I am strongly against using it to change what the Bible means or misinterpret it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think that'll be my rant. That'll be your all rant. Right. Yeah. Hey, everyone. We just want to take a quick break to let you know all the many ways that you could support the Whole Church Podcast. Hey, on- hey Josh, that's going to take too long. Uh, okay. Well, could you list all the ways that you can think of for mm-hmm. them to support us in 10 seconds or less? Yeah. Uh, subscribe to the show wherever you listen. Rate us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Support us on Patreon. Our cash app is in the show notes. Subscribe to the newsletter and rate the episode. All right. Yeah, that, that sounds and good And share to the episode. I guess we should let them get back to it then. Mm-hmm. All right. Y'all enjoy. Is it my turn to rant about? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That brings us stuff? to Chris's so, turn. Yeah, I get excited <laughs> about rants. Um, I could rant forever. Kidding, um, <laughs> not kidding. <laughs> so um, interesting enough, you were talking about the number seven. That was, um, you know, for me, that was always one that um, I, I just always looked at. It's one that always uh, meant something to me, and so. Um, I had found, you know, different ways to study it, different, different findings about number seven. Of course, you brought it up. You know, a lot of people say uh, perfection. They say completeness. Uh, some people use it as, as you know, a sword. Um, but I found, you know, different places, rest and completion. They, they would get that from Genesis, right? Because that's where they believe um, God rested after the completion of uh, what he had done in creation. Um, then the number seven, it just has this trend through the Bible that as you follow that trend, you really can 
find that meaning of perfection and completeness um, when you start really tracing the number. And uh, because I'm going to talk about other things, I won't rant on it too long, but I found uh, <laughs> seven classes of furniture in the tabernacle. Like that was an interesting. Mm, that, yeah, that was something interesting to me. Uh, one thing I put in uh, my notes was uh, purification and the word in Psalms 12. You know, they talked about these things. Uh, you brought up revelation. So let me say forgiveness in Matthew 18. <laughs> I found forgiveness to do with that. Uh, but the book of Revelation, that's where, man, the number seven shows up so many times in Revelation. And to me, I didn't see that as a coincidence with, you know, the whole perfection, the whole completeness. And then I get to what we would consider to be the end of the scripture that's preparing us for uh, what is coming. And then uh, I'll just ramble off some of these things for you in this little rant. And then I'm moving on. Uh, but it was seven churches. It was seven letters, seven spirits of God seven golden candlesticks, seven stars, seven angels, seven lamps of fire, seven spirits <laughs> of God. Like I can keep going. There's seven seals of judgment, seven thunders, 7,000 men slain, seven heads of a beast, seven last plagues, seven mountains, seven kings. And I'll stop there because you get the gist of what I'm saying. Um, so that that number, it fascinated me. Um, and to uh, just there's been God moments in my life where that number showed up in a significant way that just floored me. Um, that's for a totally different episode with God moments. But um, <laughs> in that, you know, I have found that the numbers, it goes back to exactly what I said before, the numbers in the Bible, they they, they are symbolic. I don't believe that anything in the scripture um, is not symbolic. I, I believe it from cover to cover. And if if God so saw fit for it to be there, then I believe it's there and, and, you know, whatever has happened and numbers come in and out, call it what you will. But my entire existence, I've been able to read my Bible and understand it. And my entire existence on this earth, that Bible has been proven correct and everything in it has been symbolic. Everything in it has meant something to my life. Um, and so I just challenge people with this, the go study that stuff, but don't get bogged down on it and um, definitely don't let it, don't let that stuff sway your faith one way or another. Like if I can't really understand seven times 70, you can really understand Jesus is trying to tell you to forgive people. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That That's pretty easy to get. So, so don't, don't become so um, intellectual on a certain, you just bog down that now the practical part where Jesus was really trying to get you to understand, you're going to have to forgive people a lot. It's probably going to be <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and wouldn't it have been easier for us if he would have just said that, like, just come right out, left the numbers out of it and just been like, hey, just forgive them all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I, I think, think it, it's it's also worth mentioning. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's seven types of angels beyond angel and archangel. Yeah. Uh, you know, just numbers everywhere. Yeah. yeah. All over the place. And it's one of those where I think I think Jesus wanted us to be able to go deeper, but was never going to word something where if you didn't go deeper, you weren't going to get what he meant. It was like both and which is which is cool. Um, and my last footnote before we, we move on. Um, uh, another thing I'll say, and not just in prophecy, just in general, that the Bible uses numbers for that's really cool. Is it's a lot of times it'll be that number lets you know what they're talking about. It's something tangible for the reader, right? So when you look at seven heads of the beast in Revelation that he was talking about, it's not a coincidence that the beast in Daniel also had that number seven attached That's to it. Right. It gives you that clear reference by doing that, which is really cool. You can always refer the Bible back to something else in the Bible. I tell them, go find what else in the Bible matches that because <laughs> you're going to find it. Um, and you say, well, no, I won't. Keep digging. It's there. It, it will refer yeah. back to stuff. <laughs> Um, do I keep going? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, okay, you can do your main right now. So uh, yeah, you could start now. <laughs> I can start now. Here I go. Sorry, I interrupt you so much asking questions. Um, <laughs> so then on the list, I seen stock market cryptocurrency. Am I, is that what I'm talking about? Because yeah, I, I love those you don't kind want of numbers. Yeah, what's the Bible say about money? And How I get asked all the time. People world. ask me all the time. They're like, man, how can you 
you know, support this. Uh, for those of you who don't know that are Josh's and TJ's listeners of the Whole Church podcast, um, I love cryptocurrency. It's um, people ask me all the time, what are you buying? I tell them I'm absolutely buying nothing. Um, but <laughs> I put money into this artificial intelligent system of blockchains. And um, some say, you know, why did you put it in there? Well, I put it in there for one reason. I put it in there for hopes that if I put in $100, then eventually over time, my $100 would then be $1,000. Uh, and then the questions always posed to me, well, what if it goes the other way? And I say, well, that's the chance you take. And here's what I always get every single time. They'll say, preacher, are you gambling? <laughs> are you gambling? Um, let me ask you guys, what? What would your response be if you were investing in um, a cryptocurrency or even a stock market, uh, uh, any ticker out there or a bond, anything, uh, just your personal, would you feel as if that were gambling? So TJ answer first. Yeah. Uh, Gambling and investing are different for a couple of reasons. I think the biggest one is strictly the odds that you will lose your money when you're gambling unless it's a game of skill which most people you don't gamble on you gamble at you know blackjack poker slots i think slots is the biggest one which is mostly random and you can play for a long time so you're not gambling right no but you can play for a long time to try and get your money back but the fact remains that it's still more likely that you're going to lose your money. Uh, when you're investing, uh, the chances of you losing your money are much lower, generally, uh, because you won't just lose all of your money unless what you're investing into goes out of business. Yeah. Which is just not that common for something that is publicly traded. Yeah. Uh, for cryptocurrency, it's a little more common. Uh, but only in your, if you're investing into really small new cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I um. So I I have a two part two part answer with this, and then I'm going to ask a question for Chris. Um. I, so so I don't. I think it can be gambling if you're not doing your research on it. Um, th- this is just my thoughts of when it can be considered gambling. If you're not really doing your research, you're just throwing money at stuff. And if you're putting money in that you don't really have to spare, that, that's probably gambling. You're hoping that you win enough on these random things that you'll make enough to survive. No, you're supposed to rely on God. What, what you're doing is gambling. Um, now, now, if you're taking your excess and doing it, I think it becomes a little bit different. Because um, I think of when Jesus gave the, the talents to the men in the Bible, right? He gave Five to one who came back with 10, three to one came back with, I don't remember the numbers exactly, which I should because this is numbers in the Bible. <laughs> but he, the, the point was he gave the one talent to one guy who never made any more with it. Well, how were they making money at? In my mind, that was them talking about investments. Um, however, and this is going to lead to my question for Chris. You also see in the book of Jonah, God telling people, hey, gamble. Everybody just draw a stick and then you'll know who's the loser. So is gambling actually against the Bible, Chris? Hmm. Well, um, that would bring me up to, you know, something else I had in here was, um, I guess, is gambling a sin? Um, that would be, this was against the Bible. In my view, it's sin. Um, so for me, I guess the guiding principle on that, that I would always consider is, um, I would consider both, you know, your time, um, and your money. Um, let's see, was it, uh, it's first Corinthians and where they tell us we're bought with a price. And so uh, if you go back to the talents and you look at that, you know, given the five talents, the three talents, the one talent, right? Uh, one man hid his talent in the earth, right? And <laughs> got rebuked for it. Um, I think about what if that guy gambled that away? Like he didn't hide it, but he went and gambled it and he lost it all. And so he came back, not with, I'm going to give you back, but I lost everything. Would that rebuke have been more stern on him? Um, and then you look at if your time and money are your very own, then you can gamble as you want to. You can do what you want to do with it. Uh, but if your time and your money 
belong to the Lord, then you're going to do responsible things with it. Um, you know, like there's the scripture that talks about where our where our uh, treasures are, our hearts, where our treasure is. And, and I tell folks all the time is that if you want to invest, invest. But the number one rule to investing, any investor from top to bottom will tell you the same rule every single time. They're never going to change from the Warren Buffetts of the world to, you know, a little guy like me with no money that likes to buy cryptocurrency. The number one rule is if you can't afford to lose that money and it not affect your lifestyle in any negative manner, then you should never invest it in anything. Even Mm -hmm. if you think it's a great company, you know, that's going to be around, you know, like Apple. Uh, who knew that Apple was going to probably be the first two trillion dollar industry in the world, right? We didn't know that, but if we knew that when we were teenagers, we would have saved every dollar we had and put it in there, right, mm-hmm. for that gain. But now that right. you're older, the company's more valuable. Your life is in a different place where I can't afford to just throw money here and there. Um, and so, without me getting off on that tangent. I believe that gambling, um, gambling in and of itself, I think it's a case by case deal there. Um, because, yeah, so- because like for me, if I say um, I buy stocks and bonds, I buy cryptocurrencies, and I'm telling you every single time I buy them, I research every bit of those companies, probably way too much. Josh, you know, uh, I used to probably wear your ears out talking about cryptocurrency. Uh, My brother says, dude, you should have a PhD in crypto because you just study so much. But do you know what? Every I study those companies so hard. I study the algorithms and the blockchains and all the stuff going on with it. But every time I put a dollar in there, it's still gambling. Mm -hmm. And if any person were to say to me, um, I think you're sinning by doing that, I'd have a really hard time with that because uh, my house is in order. My family's taken care of. You know, we've we've put a little something back in case we have an emergency. And so what I'm doing is I'm just taking, um, you know, just just a little money laying around and I'm throwing it somewhere. Um, But where it becomes a sin is um, I had an uncle. Let's talk about my uncle. I can't get in trouble. Um, had an uncle, God bless him. He's, he's gone on now. Um, but he had a gambling problem. And when I say problem, I mean, you, you're talking of a guy that would, you know, he'd make anywhere from two, $300,000 a year. And, um, he'd go to pick up payroll checks for his, his company. And so instead of getting them all checks, sometimes he would stop at these little slot machine deals and he would gamble away like his whole payroll. And so that directly affected his business to where it started, where his business started going downhill. People didn't want to work with him anymore. And then not to not to mention, like if I worked for you all week, I exchanged you know my talent and my energy, my hard earned self. I traded all that I was for some dollars from you so I could live. And now you've went and gambled all that away. How many people did you hurt in that process? Because each person has family. You, you see what I'm saying? So I think yeah. there's a clear difference there um, is are you gambling because you have an addiction? Because to me, a gambling addiction and a drug addiction is the same thing. Something's ruling you and controlling you. Um, so I think it could be case by case because I definitely believe. Look, I agree with TJ on the point of there's certain uh, there's certain mutual funds and different things that you can invest in. Um, you know, like if you were going to invest in like um I'm not going to throw names out, but if you're going to invest in one of the one of the bigger funds that I'm thinking about right now, you're guaranteed just by putting your money in there, you're guaranteed to get at least a 10% a year return. Mm-hmm. They're probably never ever going out of business. Just not going to happen. They're too big. Okay, so yeah. that but still, there's always that aspect of what if the whole company did fail? You know, we say it's mm-hmm. too big, but what if it did? You just lost everything. And so um, I think you got to be careful, man. You got to be careful not to uh, put yourself in that situation. Right. Let me get the, the way I view it is anytime I'm going to invest any amount of money, as soon as I invest, I consider that money gone. That's right. Lost. I, alre- I already lost that money. So yeah. when someone's like, oh, you better pull out your investment, you're going to lose your money. Like, no, I lost my money six months ago. 
That's good. And also, my investment is still up by two hundred percent because I invested early. <laughs> Dogecoin, exactly. That's research, what I'm talking which about. Which is an important part of not making it gambling. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so Chris, one, one hypothetical because yeah. you said it's case by pace, and I want to see what you say about this case. And it is completely made up, so I'm not talking about anybody. If anybody thinks I am, then you're 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 crazy. And you're um, convicted, and you need to get yourself right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, See, I, I used to always use the name Joe when I wanted a random person, but I found out Joe from my church listened to the podcast, and I don't want him to think that I'm dogging on him because <laughs> it's always a bad example, man. Um, I don't think I know a Billy. I'm going to go with Billy. So <laughs> Billy is full on Dave Ramsey and stuff, right? He has his free spending in an envelope, and this is just stuff that he he's already done his budget. He's paid all his bills. He's doing all the stuff right. That envelope is his free spending, let's say, for the month. He takes it to the horse races. He spends all of it, loses it all gambling at the horse. Did Billy sin doing that? I I don't see the Billy. I mean, look, if okay, well, let's just, just do this the right way because <laughs> Billy, Billy is following the Dave Ramsey course. Okay, um, something I know a little bit about. So Billy's got his envelopes out. Billy's already been through the baby steps with Dave Ramsey. And so the envelope, look, Billy's envelopes are going to be labeled because Ramsey is going to teach you that you're going to budget every dollar down to zero. Right. So every dollar has yep. a destination. So now I have my envelope and one says rent or mortgage payment. One says automobiles, your know, groceries. And so I go through the list. And if you're following Ramsey's program, then you're going to have that envelope that's called blow money, right? And that means I can do whatever I want to do with that money. Doesn't matter to that money is budgeted for me as the guy who got up and went to work every day. I got a little reward where I can take this money and I can do whatever I want to do with it. Um, I don't think that Billy's soul is in jeopardy because he went out there and said, you know, I think the blue horse is faster than the red horse. And it just so <laughs> happened that the green horse won the race. Like, I don't think Billy's soul is in jeopardy in that. Now, if Billy did that and then the next horse race come up and that envelope was empty and he went through his you know little stash there and he said, <laughs> well, this one says car repairs, you know, and we don't need car repairs. So I'm going to go out and do. Now, I think Billy's getting into some sketchy stuff because um, it's all about now he has an addiction Poor where Billy. I lost. I got to recoup. You know, it's this whole thing going on. Yeah. Um but I think if Billy does it matter using, how much research he's done on the horses, does that affect? I don't care if he does. I don't care if he does research. I mean, that's you know, that's yeah. um, to me, that's like saying you know, if I take a five dollar bill out of my wallet and and go out there and um, hand it to a homeless guy, and he goes and buys alcohol, <laughs> have I sinned? Well, I didn't research his life. I didn't know what he was going to do with it. I didn't care. Right? I had a extra money not going to affect my life one way or another, whether I, I have it or it doesn't. So I, yeah. whatever I do with it. Um, now, if you're out there slinging drugs, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's, we have to be careful <laughs> that we don't give people a pass just to go out and do certain things. But I think it all comes down to, it's the love of money. Like how much do you really love your money? Um, and are you really taking care of your household? Because if you look, if your bills aren't paid, and your house isn't taken care of, but you go out to McDonald's and you buy everybody a supersized number seven, I think you're wrong. Like, I think you're wrong because you hadn't taken care of the kids. You hadn't paid the bills. You hadn't done these things that you needed to yeah. do. And now you're out supersizing meals that you shouldn't be out buying anyway. And so to me, um, that's just as much a problem as if I go down to the horse. I'm not promoting horse racing, by the way, or gambling in any <laughs> such Um uh, I'm just saying I don't think that's something where we get caught up and say, oh, I can't believe, you know, you did. Yeah. I, here's one for you. And, and I thought of this when I was thinking of this <laughs> gambling stuff. I thought, you know what? As a uh, youth director of a whole state, you know what I did um, November of 2019? I gambled. I gambled with the church's money. I did that, Josh. I gambled. TJ, I gambled what? with the church's money because here's what I did. How? I took somewhere around $3,000, $4,000. That was allotted to me. And I spent it all on an event mm. in hopes that people would come to my event 
pay my fee, buy my merchandise, and therefore I could return what I borrowed with a profit. So I feel mm-hmm. like, like there's so many ways we can look at it. When it, you know, take it to the small churches levels where you go out and you spend all your money yeah. on hot dogs and, and, you know, you have a cookout and you sell plates for $6 a piece. Well, you just, you just kind of gambled there because what if nobody bought your hot dogs? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But hmm. where were we at? We were really trying to do something good, right? We wanted to do an event. We wanted to raise money for the church. And so that's why I feel comfortable saying that sometimes it's got to be case by case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Right. So uh, thank you for the rant, Chris. Uh, financial rant. <laughs> I'm good at uh, rant. Yeah. We, uh, that's, that's a pastor skill you pick up eventually has to be, but, uh, we want to talk about all these things because they, they do all affect church unity in some way. And I think it, we kind of skipped around, uh, the issues I talked about, uh, you know, ascribing to our system, the three tier system, uh, mine would be third tier. You know, you can disagree about the size of giants in the Bible and sit next to someone in church unless you are way too invested in the size of giants, which (laughs) I suggest you reevaluate. Chris's, uh, you know, financial speakings are, well, actually I think we might've went in order. Uh, Josh's issues. If the pastor at the church you are at is uh, speaking in a way that you think is unbiblical, uh, you know, taking the numbers in verses and building the verse around the numbers. Uh, I think that is a very solid reason to move churches, uh, especially if he doesn't consistently or in a way that is just directly against the message. Interpreting the Bible. Mm-hmm. And Chris, Chris's issue could be any of the three <laughs> because there's levels to it. Uh, gambling. There are many forms of investing, you can call gambling. It's just, you know, it's something you have to evaluate case by case. And if your pastor is just actually gambling, you know, embezzling money from the church, uh, using that yeah. money to try and make more money, that might be a first tier issue. I'd call that not be able to in, by the way, guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Embezzling is bad. Uh, Chris Embez- Kelly. Embezzling right bad. <laughs> Oh man, you know, even you know, it might be three disconnected rants, but they are semi to relevant. So they're definitely about numbers. Definitely <laughs> numbers. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, Chris, one thing, as as you know, we we like to do at the end of the episodes is make people tell us one thing that people can do that would help maintain unity. Just you know, regular Billy or Joe at church. Um. <laughs> And today we're going to be a little bit more specific because you've answered this question too many times. Uh, what's something that Billy or Joe could do with their money that would help maintain unity in the church? Is there anything? Uh, yeah, I think um, I think first of all, you know, you could uh, you could look for ways. One thing about um, the church that I work for that I really love is that um, our leadership here, they will, they'll do something where they'll say, um, if you want to bless someone financially, but you don't want notoriety, then just drop it by the church office with a little note. Tell us who you want to give it to or what you want to do. Um, and so I think the way that you really can help, um, first and foremost, is with your money. Um, I know this isn't the, the, the topic of discussion, but pay your tithe. And give offerings to the church because, um, you know, whether you whether you think that is biblical or not, I believe it's 100 percent biblical. But if you tell me it's not biblical at all, then I would say, okay, well, doesn't it make sense, though, to help your church to be able to pay the bills and keep the place running and looking nice because no one wants the house looking terrible. Um, But also invest in like the younger people invest in find areas of ministry in your church that are lacking and go to the leadership and say, you know, I just noticed that we maybe could use a little help in this area and I want to donate X amount of dollars. Um, 
and and whatever that whatever that amount is, it never matters. Um, that's a big thing in church. I think that people we sometimes get confused and we think if one guy donates five dollars and another guy donates five thousand dollars, then there's different levels there in which they um, chose to give. But as long as you're you're doing your best to give from your heart, so I would say pay your tithes and offerings, invest in different ministries in the church, find things that need to be done, um, and to you know just. I mean, look, we're, we've all been around long enough. If you go to a church and, and you're friends and, and you start building these relationships like you're really supposed to do church, it doesn't matter what denomination or organization you're in. If you know someone's in need, like reach out and try to help them. And, and you know, if it takes dollars, because sometimes we, we say, well, um, I'm not going to give them money, but, you know, I'll, I'll give them a, a, that a boy or a good job. Um, but my pastor had a great statement. He said one day it really got me. Um, he says, if someone asks for $200 to pay their light bill or their lights get cut off, and I say to them, well, I'm going to give you 50 because I love you and God bless you. And pastor said to me, he said, do you know what I give them? I said, what? He said, I give them no lights because their lights still get turned on. So like find ways to invest in the people at your church because money, um, as much as church is scared to talk about money and as much, and, and I get it, like, please don't take that the wrong way. I look, I get so tired of, you know, the beggars on TV about dollars, dollars, dollars. It, it makes us look so bad. Um, but it really does take, you know, the finances to be able to operate. Um, so just find, you know, a ministry that you can invest in. Um, senior citizens at, when I used to go to church at, uh, one of the churches I worked at the senior citizens, they would, they would take their money, Josh, and they would go out and buy like little snacks for the kids. And so <laughs> after youth service and children's service was over, you'd have all these kids line up behind this one little old lady's car and the little old lady would never give them a snack. She would wait till I came outside and she would say, Pastor Chris, were they good tonight? And it was like their whole life depended on me at that moment. Like, are we going to get a snack? But you know what? That small investment she made, um, they didn't know her name, but she was the candy lady and she loved them. And they knew that about her. Um, so I would say take your dollars and, man, put them into the church. They need it. So find a person mm. in need, pay your tithes, pay your offerings, and look for ministries in your church. Don't just assume the church has all the money. Like look for ministries and look for ways to invest in them because um, nowadays in the church in any organization, it's really harder and harder for people to talk about money because we've had such a bad rap over the years. We we all know that we've all heard a story about the church that took up money for the building fund for 10 years and they never built anything. Right. So it's kind of given us a bad name. Um, but I would say just invest in your church. Yeah. Right. And I, what do I'll you say, you know, if you're supporting something, in a, in a way that's meaningful to you and costing you something, that's really hard not to, you know, feel some kind of unity with it, you know. Yeah. Just, you're a part of it at that point. Yeah. Right. Uh, what do you think we would see happen in the church if everyone started give, doing that, Chris? Man, um, well, I'd take it back to uh, a New Testament church, right, where they sold all their possessions, laid them at the feet of the apostles, and they distributed out so that no one was in need, no one had lack. I think that if the church world could find a way to say, we have this doctoral issue, we have this little thing, you know, um, I don't necessarily believe that way, or uh, the giant, I don't believe the giants were really that big, or I don't believe number 12 means that. But they could <laughs> say, but I believe that everybody needs to know the Lord, and I believe everybody needs to go to heaven, and so I'll invest in that. And if we start sharing, um, man, I think that God would really show up even more than he is. I think we would probably see a revival like we've never seen before. Because could you imagine the level of worship and the, the level of passion that would come out of a person that is just really down on their luck and has nothing? And then they show up to the house of God just broken and beat down. And a group of people found out that you're beat down, broken, and you don't have a lot. We want to bless you. And so they just give without any reservation without any fear or hesitations. They just say, we're going to give to you so that you can get your life back on track. That person would come back and their level of worship would probably be, man, just 10 times greater. And and that would be across all denominations, I believe. 
because as I read the scriptures and I really study, um, I think that's something that a lot of churches have lost is that whole concept of they really sold all their stuff and they really gave their money to the apostles. And the apostle says, we're going to take care of everybody. Um, and so for us, we got to do better. You know, I've been around churches, they'll have a stack of money in the bank and they do nothing with it. And here's what Chris Galloway tells them in all of my not so much wisdom. I say to them, um, what are we waiting on with all this money? There's hurting and dying people all around us and we're hoarding it all up in the bank. Um, so, you know, think about the guy who built the extra barns, right? Um, mm-hmm. Sounds like you're uh, so, calling the church to be the church. Yeah. The, to take care of the I don't mean like hurt your family by <laughs> giving so much, but man, really, yeah. really just dive in and, and help people. Best Got to budget. Um, right. Man. Yeah. And, and I, I just want our, our listeners to know that Chris isn't just talk. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you guys stories because I don't want to, you know, embarrass them or anything like that. Put them on the spot. But um, I've heard stories from several people of how Chris has given, and um, he's not just talking, guys. <laughs> this is a man who really believes what he's saying. So um, mm-hmm. it works out for him. I believe it'll work out for you. I think that's what the Bible says. So you know, right. take that for what you will. So, thank you for that, Chris. Uh, We'd like to move on to our God moment, which uh, thing, uh, at the end of every episode, we like to share a moment in our lives recently where we saw God, you know, moment of worship, challenge, blessing, any of that stuff. I always like to make Josh go first, and I will continue that trend. So, Josh, do you have a God moment for us? I'm thinking. All right. Like, like I know this comes every week, and, and, and somehow it, it always feels like, a, oh, man, I'm going to have to... I'm gonna- to, okay. Um. So I, I started watching Star Trek original movies for the first time. Well, not the first time. I've seen them before when I was a kid and only remembered one of them. So I, I'm counting it as my first time. Um. And it, it's just there's a, an importance they put on life that seems to be missing from a lot of media today. That I was just like, you know, yeah, life is good. And uh, I don't know. That's going to be my God moment. Just kind of remembering that uh, there is a sanctity to life and that life is important. So, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, all right, uh, I'll go next. Uh, I last week was given the opportunity to go help our Kogop brothers and sisters in Tennessee. <laughs> uh, me and all of our good friend Lance Skipper drove a million hours in his car. Uh, man, Tennessee is a long state. We drove for like six hours and we were still three and a half hours away from Memphis. But uh, I was super blessed by the opportunity to go uh, not only help the Tennessee Kogop camp, uh, but just to, to see the differences, to see how we they operate compared to us. And, you know, it's anytime you get to help young men and women in their walk with God is a blessing. So I was just super thankful for that. And might do it next year, but uh, not if our camps are on regular schedule. So that would be cool. <laughs> Save me yeah. a drive. But uh, Chris, do you have a God moment for us? I do. Um, I was in my yard and, you know, people just, God sends them. And this guy rode up on a bike and um, I hadn't seen him before, but he just rolled up to my house. And then he said to me, um, he said, Hey, how you doing? I was like, I'm fine. And I have a little boat sitting in my driveway. And he said, you catch any fish <laughs> in your boat? I said, yeah, I, I've caught a few fish. Um, and then I just kind of felt, you know, I just kind of felt a pull. Like, why did he stop and say, Hey, and then ask me about my boat? It was just so random. Cause I was picking weeds in the front yard. Um, and when I had walked down to the end of my driveway, uh, he told me I was homeless, lived in a tent over behind my house and, you know, he needed money and these different things. And so, um, you know, I told him, I'll give you money. I'll try to help you, give you some work, different things like that. And um, it, he was kind of angry because I didn't want to give him money, but I was telling him, like, I'll let you do something to, you know, get a few dollars. Um, and so my God moment was, um, and he, he says, what kind of work do you do? And that was it right there. It's like, I always wait for 
that opportunity or that moment where I just know like this is the chance. And so he says, what kind of work do you do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm a preacher. His whole countenance changed. He was real nice to me and all that stuff. And, um, but, you know, I got to tell him about the Lord and I got to tell him, um, you know, that he wasn't worthless just because he's homeless and that uh, there's something greater, but it's going to take you making better choices. Um, and you're going to have to be willing to work, you know, to be able to get what you need in life. And um, he said to me, thank you, preacher, and I'll see you later. And I said, well, hold on, I want to pray for you before you leave. And if you know, if anyone, I'll tell you listeners, uh, where I live at, there's a traffic circle in front of my house. And literally every car from Rock Hill to Charlotte goes in front of my house, I think, all hours of the day. And I said, uh, well, let me pray for you. And he said, you're going to pray with all these cars going by? And I said, yeah, and we're going to pray for them too. And so uh, I prayed for him and and the Lord just really uh, ministered to his heart. You know, he didn't he didn't speak to me after we got done praying. But, uh, you know, when when the tears show up and they hide their face and get off real quick, you don't you don't run after him. You just say, thank you, Lord, for allowing that person to come into my life today. Um, and so I was just excited. I got to pray with him. And I don't know how you know things are turning out for him. But I know that when he left, um, something was planted in his life. And so uh, I just thank God for, you know, allowing me to be parts of moments like that. Right. That's awesome. All right. Uh, so thank you all for listening. If you made it this far, it was a bit of an odd one. Uh, thank you, Chris, for being on yet again. And uh, look forward to having you next time because there will be a next time. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy or anyone <laughs> in between. And, uh, you know, check out our other stuff. If this is your first one, we're so glad to have you as an audience. And uh, unfortunately, Ooh, next week we will not... And unfortunately, next week, we will not have an episode. Uh, So sorry about that. But we'll be back the week after. And uh, some future guests for the podcast. Uh, We are going to have a former Mennonite and Christian life coach, Gloria Guadron, Dave Ebert, host of the Gifts for Glory podcast, uh, return guests, Dr. Peter Beck and Peter Link. And at the end of the season, of course, we will have Francis Chan. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, Does he know? You know, as soon as he is on the ep- this podcast, we end season one. So, Thank you all for listening. Come back the week after next. We'd be glad to have you.